Welcome to the Inside Network and another edition of In Conversation. I'm Peter White, and today we're talking LICs, listed investment companies, and what comes next after them. LICs are increasingly in the news these days, usually focusing on the fact that most trade at a discount to NAV, and also the the various efforts being tried by managers to resolve this issue, buybacks, promises of dividends, etc., etc., but none seem to have really worked. This week's seen the introduction of a possible LIC game changer, an Australian market first indeed, a very successful LIC in terms of performance, posting circa 12% per annum since inception, has been restructured into an exchange-traded managed fund. And it will trade on the ASX at guaranteed NAV, courtesy of a market maker, which in this case is Macquarie. That ETMF is Monash Absolute Active Trust, which will be trading under the ASX ticker of MAAT. To discuss this major LIC milestone, I'm joined today by LIC analyst and guru, author of the regular Bill Potter publications, LIC Weekly and LIC Quarterly, Hayden Nicholson. Hayden, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Peter. First up, for those new to investing, maybe can you give us the Twitter version of what an LIC is? Yeah, sure. So a listed investment company is really just a collective investment scheme similar to that of a managed fund. So being professionally managed by fund manager who's making those routine and active tactical decisions towards achieving the fund's investment objective. And look, that's often done with a medium to long-term perspective just due to the nature of the structure. Unlike a traditional open-ended managed fund, that closed-ended structure of the LIC gives the manager access to a stable pool of capital that can be invested for longer periods of time without actually being exposed to those capital inflows and outflows, which can really adversely impact on, on the investment decisions. So essentially, they're more like stocks in this sense. Uh, There's a limited number of of shares being on issue and available to buy and sell on the market. And now the difference here is that with an exchange-traded fund or exchange-traded managed fund, maybe in the case of of Monash, you have the intervention of of market makers and authorised participants who are engaged by the issuer to continually create and redeem the shares in order to ensure that the discount to net asset values managed within a defined range. And so this creation redemption process at at the net asset backing just causes that number of units on issue to fluctuate. And we really have that equilibrium of supply and demand for the product. Well, with the Monash investors, can you give us a rundown of the history of this LIC, which is no longer an LIC, but has changed to an ETMF? Have you been following that along with all your other portfolio of um, research? Yeah, so as you mentioned, Peter, the performance has been really strong and I think even just the the style as well, is, is it's something that's quite unique. So Monash Investors being established back in 2012 by the portfolio managers and partners, Simon Shields and Shane Fitzgerald, and those guys are ex-UBS, having that whole fundamental style of investing. And, and so Monash Absolute Investment Company, as you said, the lick, uh, had sought to achieve targeted positive returns over the full investment cycle. So that that in itself, I mean, a lot of these, the, the style bias might come in and out of favour, but having that absolute return uh, and, and often the, the performance hurdle uh, is, is the RBA cash, it's really ensuring that there's always positive returns. So something that investors can get behind no matter which way the market swings. So it was defined as a period of about five to seven years. And, and as I said, they're, they're really just 
trying to provide absolute returns for the investors. And and it's really all done with those investments being selected through discounted cash flow modelling. So the investment strategy is, is really high conviction, long short. So it provides a bit of downside protection too. And it's it's really not something investors can can do or or facilitate by themselves. And and just not having a benchmark to replicate gives you all this sort of small cap bias and, and even a return profile that's a bit more consistent with the market. It's got some lower volatility and beta. I guess the biggest question is, do you think this transition to an ETMF will actually be a game changer? Will other LICs follow this? Uh, and is it the solution to the this perennial discount problem that LICs incur? There are some really positive tailwinds for the sector at the moment. We're sort of anticipating a real bumper period of, of cash distributions and, and that's going to be carried forward too because I suppose just given the, especially quite untraditionally, this is going to be done through active managers who have been quite vocal about their contrarian calls during the recent months and have really high turnover ratios and, and are realising investments at all-time market highs essentially. So even just, I guess, coming back to the different structures, in comparison to the trust structure, these LICs have an ability to retain earnings through periods to build up a dividend reserve and it really smooth, uh, allows the lick to smooth out a sustainable dividend over the long term that's often fully franked. Whereas a trust, on the other hand, it's, it's required to distribute all the earnings to the underlying unit holders. So you can have this quite choppy distribution of income as opposed to, to the lick. So just on that basis, uh, we're, we're seeing some discount compression there due to the fact that you get a bit more of a, a levered yield, so to speak, if the unit or, or share price is being quite depressed. So that's contracting things. But um, look, having said that, I suppose the investor experience with licks and lits has been quite soured since these massive IPOs that were done in 2018 and, and 2019 that really failed to impress at the time and, and add value. Um, and, and the flow and effect of that is that the excess discounts and now especially also attracting activist investors, which really disrupts the actual managing of money and adds to a worse experience. And and by contrast, that's that's not an issue at all if, if someone were to move to the exchange-traded managed fund structure. So, I mean, I have here 2018, there was about $3.3 bill in capital raised, 2019, $4.1 bill in, in IPO capital, and there hasn't been anything for last calendar year or, or to date. So it's really dropped off there. Um, and in comparison, there's there's been a real influx of exchange-traded managed funds popping up since the tail end of last year. You've had the likes of Magellan with their flagship global equities fund restructure, Munro Partners, Loftus Peak and, and Hyperion. And these large active managers are really getting the lion's share of net fund inflows. And we also calculate a compounded annual growth rate for April this year of 39% for ETFs versus 13% for licks and lits since January 2017. So you have really quite amazing both returns and capital flows that are driving this growth. So what do you think the outlook is for the MAAT? Uh, I note that uh, they're promising 6% or uh, promising or committing to a 6% minimum dividend per year paid quarterly. Uh, how important do you think that is and how significant is it and how unusual is it? 
It's pretty much all of the above, Peter, as you said. Really, if you think about uh, the market more generally, you're looking at about 3.5%. So really, it's already above the market. And I suppose that just comes back to the underlying investments that you're getting through the trust. Getting a little bit of that small cap bias, it allows the manager when those securities do hit their terminal or, or predicted value, you can trim or, or exit those positions, realise some profits, and that'll supplement any of the underlying income that, that might actually be received in addition to dividend income that's received on investments. And you get a little bit of franking there too on the underlying income, but obviously all the capital gains tax will, will be passed on to the investor just given the way those are taxed, but really compelling from that point of view. Plus, I think that that dual income point is is quite attractive and and it just seems to be where they've traditionally added value and and I can see that happening into the future too. In terms of what other LIC managers are trying, how does this compare and what what do you think of the efforts of other managers to try and address the discount? Antipodes Global Investment Company, they introduced a, a significant and innovative discount control mechanism that was unveiled back in uh, August last year, I think it was, and it's quite overwhelmingly approved by shareholders at their AGM. Now, it's something that's quite common across in the UK for, I think it's their IC or investment company industry, and it's it's kind of best practice. So what they're going to do is going to be introducing a conditional tender offer. Since the time of the announcement, that discount has narrowed from 17.3% to 10%. And under the regime, the Tender offer is going to be triggered if the average daily NTA discount is greater than 7.5% for the 12-month calculation period from 19 October 2020 to 18 October this year. And now it's worth noting that the average daily discount since the start of this time frame up until about 14th of May has been just on 12%. So that trigger condition is looking quite likely and essentially if it's triggered, the company is going to buy back a maximum of 25% of the issued capital at the prevailing post-tax NTA less, less 2%. Of the two options, which you think makes more sense, restructuring to an ETMF or this more complicated route that uh, Antipodes is taking? Well, I suppose with the whole buyback or, or tender, or you're really cancelling shares on issue. And, and even just across in the UK, I think, these can be held and, and reissued at a, a further point down in the track. So you're taking money off the table and and really it's it's a similar sort of thing in, in trying to address the mismatch between supply and demand. So it's it's really not not an issue if you move to the, the open-ended structure. It, it just organically allows for the in and outflow of, of capital based on the sentiment really. So yeah, as we said, just that intervention of authorised participants and, and market makers means that it's quite transparent already from the get-go. That bundle or, or underlying basket of securities that's in the fund will be disclosed on a periodic basis and really there'll be that creation redemption process through an appointed market maker that is going to keep the unit price very, very sticky and tight to the net asset value. So really it's just one less thing for the investor to worry about in the trading experience you're getting fair value all the time and exposure to the investment strategy. Well, of course, Jeff Wilson, the famed Jeff Wilson, is now launching a, a new fund to invest in or buy up undervalued LICs. Does that make sense to you and do you, will it succeed? And what's, what are the implications of that move? 
It does make sense, and especially for Jeff. I mean, he has so much first-hand experience. This will be about the eighth lick for Wilson Asset Management. So I think it is somewhere where a professional and, and sophisticated investor can really add value, such as in the case of this WAM strategic value, pun the pun, um, where there is such erratic market behaviour or, or strange anomalies or maybe even a misunderstanding of the look-through investments that are housed in these listed funds. So maybe even just coming back to, to a recent anecdote would probably be the Metric Credit Partners Master Income Trust, which really just continues and, and continues to deliver monthly income above their annual targeted rate being RBA cash plus 325 basis points. But look, interestingly, over that market sell-off, while the unit price uh, reacted quite negatively, the, the net asset value remained actually quite stable at, at around $2. So, you know, look, there could have been some assumptions about uh, bad debts, but really the experience management team there, directory originate loans, which allows the manager to, to set the terms, control the covenants and, and negotiate pricing with borrowers in their private corporate fixed income space. But quite astoundingly, the thing was trading at a, about a 15.5% discount to the NAV back in March last year. So it's still been providing about a 5% yield based on the $2 issue price. And this just becomes more lucrative and, and levered the greater the discount. So I think someone that can identify these things is is really going to not only write out uh, the performance of the manager, but also really identify and, and work with some of the managers to, to address maybe some inherent uh, issues within each fund. What does the future look like? Does it look like more uh, restructuring to from LICs to ETMFs or more going down the Jeff Wilson path or the Antipodes path? Would you care to make, a, make a, a, an assumption or a prediction given that you're probably the man who studies LICs more than anybody else in this country. I think there will still be a bit of a period of consolidation, just as I was sort of alluding to before, the amount of fresh IPO capital that was just seeming to hit the market really quite heavily back a couple of years ago. I think that will now quieten down. And that's the other thing. The ETFs really stood the test of time over that volatile period we had back in March last year. So I think really it'll be a case of the big getting bigger in the closed-end listed investment company and trust space, and especially as well if, if there is superior liquidity for these massive names um, and, and a market cap, that trading experience should be better too, you would imagine. But I think for, for anyone that, that maybe is, has been experiencing some some troubles in, in getting that uh, discount to tighten up, probably anyone else who's on the more boutique or, or small side that's looking to come to market will be going down that exchange-traded managed fund rate. I mean, there are even a couple of IPOs. I think there was one off the top of my head back last year that, that was going to look to be listed but but pulled out and, and there was another big active manager. So, yeah, look, just given the flows we've seen recently in, in the ETF space, as I touched on, some of those, again, really big names with well-renowned portfolio managers, I think we will see uh, more of along the likes of what Monash has, has done. Can we just talk about the difference between an ETF, which I think many people now understand, versus an ETMF? It's quite interchangeable. So, so exchange-traded managed funds or exchange-quoted managed funds or active ETFs are really one in the same. The objective really is, is being to outperform a, 
reference benchmark using a number of active investing strategies. They operate in a similar way to traditional managed funds, but as we sort of mentioned before, they have that benefit of, of transparency, the intraday pricing and, and market making capabilities similar to that of an ETF. So really there's been this whole transition away from, I suppose, your more traditional passive market cap weighted index investing to what is now quite a cost-effective access point to a lot of these active or or thematic investment strategies that you can access and have exposure to a whole slew of of underlying investments and and different types, you know, as we said, whether that's a market neutral or long short, these things are are quite new. And I think they add a lot of good diversification and downside protection in, in a greater portfolio for clients. In terms of your publications weekly and monthly, can the average investor access those just via your website? We publish all of our ETF and LIC and LIT research on the Bell Potter website. You can also access it through third-party providers such as Share Cafe, and I believe it also goes up on the ASX website, if memory serves correct. Hayden, thanks for your time today and thanks for talking to us. Thanks for having me, Peter. <laughs> 